You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. If you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new, my name is Marco, and I am lead pastor of Radiant Church. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. It's good to be or to see the sun out. Amen. Man, we've had some clouds and some rain, so I'm so thankful for the sun. Well, listen, this morning we are in week number two of a five-week message series entitled, God Has a Name. God Has a Name. And essentially, this series, listen, is a deep dive into two verses of the Bible. It comes from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This is a conversation between Moses and God where Moses asks the Lord, Lord, I want to see your glory. The Lord says to Moses, hey, you can't see my face. No one will live if they see my face, but you can see my backside. And the Lord passes over and reveals himself to Moses. And ultimately, the Lord is revealing himself, of course, to each and every one of us. Now, a fast fact for all of you guys about Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Did you know this? That Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the most quoted passage or verses in the entire Bible by the biblical writers. So here's what that means. That means this, that whenever one of the writers of Scripture wanted to describe the character or what God was like, guess what they would do? They would quote Exodus 34, 6 and 7 or paraphrase it in some way. Fascinating. Now listen, last week... I talked about, or I kind of laid all of my cards out on the table, and I told you what this series would be about. I've tweaked it just a bit, but I want to show you that once again so we can all be on the same page. Here's the big picture of our message. God's name shows us who he is, how he relates to us, and therefore how we should relate, or you can even say treat, one another. God's name shows us who he is, how he relates to us, and therefore how we should relate to one another. I I love this summary because this summary gives us a bit of an outline for our message today. Today we're going to talk about who God is. We're going to talk about how he relates to us, and then we'll spend the last seven or eight minutes or so describing how then we should what? Relate to one another, how we treat one another. Last week we learned this. We learned that God is a person. He has a name. His name is the Lord. More specifically, it's Yahweh. Yahweh is his name. And because he has a name, it means this. It means that he's a person. It means he's personal. And it means this, that he wants a relationship with you and I. And so no matter where you've been, whether you're religious irreligious, whatever it is, a skeptic, an atheist this morning, God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me, and I could be certain of that. I don't know your background. I don't know your story, but I can tell you with certainty 
that God wants a relationship with you. Here's what we're going to do. I want us to go to our text, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. If you have a Bible, go there. Smartphone, go there. We'll have the verses behind me on the screen as well. Here's what it says. And he passed in front of Moses, God, of course, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So church, if you were with us last week, we talked about Yahweh. We talked about his name and the implications of that. Today in our message this morning, we're going to talk about that phrase, the compassionate and gracious God. Let's pray together and we'll dive in. Lord, we love you and we love your house. We love to gather, to worship, to hear the teaching and the proclamation of your word. And so God, we're asking that by your spirit you do that which none of us can do, God, which is open some blind eyes in this house, unlock some of our deaf ears. Um, God, in, in your kindness, would you soften some of our hardened hearts because of maybe life's difficulties and trials and even our suffering, our hearts have become hardened. Father, would you come and heal our bodies for my brothers and my sisters who are sick? Maybe uh, there's a disease, Lord. You know, you know our story, Lord. Would you come and heal some of our hearts that are broken, Lord? Would you come and heal and mend together lives, Lord? Come and speak purpose and identity to your people, we pray, Lord. We anticipate the work of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of your word, God. And so we come together with one voice and we just say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and have your way. We anticipate what you will do and how you'll move in power. And we pray all of this together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, would you imagine with me, if you would, for just a few moments, imagine that you live in the ancient Near East. It's the year 1500, and you live in a desert, actually. It's actually modern-day Saudi Arabia. But you live in a, in a tent, a small tent, at the base of a mountain. And this mountain is very familiar to those of us who know our Bible. It's Mount Sinai. So you live in the ancient Near East, 1500 B.C., at the base of Mount Sinai, you live in a culture, listen, full of gods and goddesses. Now, these gods are anything but nice, okay? I mean, they're mean, they're capricious, I mean, they're ready to fly off the handle if you don't do everything necessary to appease these gods. So what do you do to please the gods? What do you do to appease the gods? Here's what you do. You make sacrifices. You offer sacrifices. In fact, this is the only way, listen, to keep the gods off your back and to get the gods on your side. You make sacrifices. So you what? You make, you sacrifice a bird. You 
sacrifice a goat, and then it ratchets up. Eventually, you're, you're sacrificing uh, um, bulls and rams, but the gods want more. So what do they ask for? They ask for your child. They want your firstborn. So what do you do? You offer up your child, your firstborn, and people in the ancient Near East would make these types of sacrifices to gods like Molech and Marduk and the like. Now in history, you might remember the Battle of Troy. There was a movie made about it, you know, several years ago, a blockbuster, Orlando Bloom, Brad Pitt, all these big stars. But as the story goes, if you're familiar with it, there's a Greek king named Agamemnon. Agamemnon is sailing across the Mediterranean Sea. And he's about to, he's headed towards Troy to engage in the Trojan War. But his ship is at a standstill. And the reason it's at a standstill is because there's no wind. And the reason there's no wind is because why? Because the ancient Greek goddess Artemis is mad at him. She's angry. So she comes to the king and she says, King, if you want wind, I need a sacrifice. And I want a significant sacrifice. I want your daughter. And get this. He does it. He does it. He cuts his daughter's throat and offers her to Artemis. Immediately as the story goes, the wind begins to blow once again and the king continues to travel to ancient Troy. Now, some of you think, well, this is a myth. Others of you think, well, this is actually history. No matter what you think about that story, it's actually, the context of it is actually true to ancient Near East and the times that we find with Moses and the people at the base of Mount Sinai and that the Hebrews lived, listen, in fear of the gods and the goddesses. People in the ancient Near East feared what the gods and the goddesses would do. For us, we have the scripture. And when we open up the Bible and we open the Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, what happens? The true, living, real God steps onto the scene. And he's different. He's like no other God. This God is loving. This God is a creator. He's made the heavens and the earth. He spoke the universe into being. This God saves. This God rescues. This God delivers. He even provides for his people. And line by line, and verse by verse, this God reveals himself to his people. And what does he say? He says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew Scripture, you know that word order matters. So if you read something in the Old Testament and there's a list of things, whatever is at the top of that list, listen, is deemed to be most important. So we look at this list in Exodus 34, and it's God's way of saying compassion and grace. This is like, this is the dominant characteristic of who I am. God is revealing himself as compassionate 
and the gracious God. Now, if we were to see this phrase in Hebrew, it would look something like this. You can put that up there. Rachum v'chanun. Rachum v'chanun. It's guttural. It's not raccoon, okay? It's rachum v'chanun. I should make all of you say it. It's kind of that guttural sound. It's kind of fun to say it, to be honest with you, okay? Now, did you notice that these words kind of sound alike? You don't have to know Hebrew, okay? You can just kind of hear it, right? These words sound alike. Now, the reason for that is these words are what you would call mutually illuminating. What does that mean? That means this. That means when they're found in the Old Testament Hebrew, listen, they're normally found side by side right next to each other. And the reason for that is because they help to define one another. They help to define one another. Rachum v'chanun. Let's look at that first word for compassionate, rachum. It's translated in many places as merciful. And then notice, it comes from the root word meaning female womb, the feeling a mother has toward her infant child. So did you, can you see it's kind of a feeling word? Now, to illustrate this story or to illustrate this word, rachum, we need to go to a story in the Old Testament. It's 1 Kings chapter 3. And if you don't know the story, that's okay. It's a story where there are two women fighting over a baby. And, and they're trying to figure out who the real mother is. And one woman is saying, I'm the mother. And the other woman, no, I'm the mother. So King Solomon, in his wisdom, has this idea. He's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut the baby in half. And you get a piece and you get a piece. Why would he do that? That sounds sick. No, he knows that the real mother will come to the surface, okay? So here's what happens. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 26. The woman whose son was alive was what? Deeply moved, rachum, out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him, right? So she's like, listen, I would rather have this baby alive, okay, than even if he can't be mine. I, I just want him to live. She can have him. And so Solomon immediately knows who the real mother is. The Bible tells us she was what? Deeply moved. Rachum. She's what? This compassion that wells up from the inside. The real mother is moved out of compassion, and instantly Solomon knows who the real mother is. The word shows up as well in Psalm 103, verse number 8. It says this, The Lord is compassionate, rachum, and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Pause right there. Can you look at that verse really quick, you guys? Go ahead and look up there. What is this? Who is the psalmist quoting here? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It's almost a word-for-word word quotation. The Lord is compassionate. Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Go down to verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children. Sorry if I spit in your face there. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Again, there it is, that word showing up. As a father has compassion on his children. The Hebrew word, listen, compassion is a what? It's a feelings word. Feelings word. Deep feeling. Remember what 1 Kings 3 told us? She was what? Deeply moved out of compassion 
bore her infant son. This word shows us, listen, how God feels about his children. Isn't that amazing? This is how God feels about you and I. Now, my wife, she has incredible compassion for our two kids. In the middle of the night, if they're sick, if they cry out, I mean, it's like, boom, like three seconds later, she's out of the bed. She's by their bedside, and it's like a Band-Aid, you know, cough medicine, you know, arms around them. I'm still in bed, like, struggling, like, I got this. I'll be there in a second. No, I'm not going anywhere, actually, right? She is moved to compassion for her children. The same thing happens when they're, when they're hurt, right? And moms, you probably know this more so than anyone else. When the little ones are hurt, what do you do? Oh, come here. Oh, it's, it's okay, baby. Oh, I'm good, little boo-boo. It's, oh, little boo-boo. It's okay. Here's mommy. Mommy loves you. You're going to be just fine. Okay, right? All right, right? And, and me, I'm a little bit low on the compassion. So I'm like, are you bleeding? Anything broken? All right, get on out of here, boy. <laughs> I'm a little low in the compassion and the mercy, right? I don't have the spiritual gift of mercy, if I can be honest with you. Now, that doesn't get me off the hook. I'll explain more of that later on as we go. It just means this. It just means that I have to really be intentional to, like, have this compassion and mercy. Some of you are like that. You're wired that way. You're very merciful. You're very compassionate, okay? And that's just the Lord has wired you that way. And other people, we're, we're just not as, we're, we're not quite there. So I know my wife to be very compassionate for our, our two children. Now, listen, the reality is I may be low on compassion, okay? I may be low on mercy, but let me tell you the good news. The good news is this. God is never low on compassion for you. I want you to hear that. God is never low on compassion for you. I'm fickle, okay? You got to catch me on a good day for me to be merciful. I mean, I can show mercy. I can. I just don't take that the wrong way, okay? But God's compassion for you, I mean, he's never low on it. He is never. Remember that, that feeling Deeply moved, that's the way God feels about you. It's how a parent relates to a child. And can I just remind you that nothing compares to the love of a parent to a child, right? Nothing compares that of a parent to the love of a parent for a child. Not the love a man has for his wife. Not the love a person has for their country. And not even, listen, a person's love for their favorite sports team. Ho, 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 ho. Careful, Pastor Marco, careful. Nothing compares to the love that a parent has for their child. It's a fierce love. It's a protective love. You will experience the wrath of a mama bear if you mess with a little baby bear. Can I just tell you, God's the same way. People say, why does God have to have a wrath? Because he protects, and love always has a different side to it. He has to have wrath. If not, he wouldn't be loving at all, actually. This is how God feels about you. And that word compassion, listen, again, it's a, it's a feeling word. So check this out, church. Not only is God compassionate, but what? He's gracious. He's gracious. So listen, if compassion is a feeling word, guess what? Gracious is, a, is an action word. It's an action word. I want to show you the definition here. 
Harnun, Harnun, gracious, an action word to show what? To show grace, favor, help in time of need. That's what that word means, gracious. To show grace, favor, help in time of need. The word gracious is something that you do, right? It's something you show, you help, or you, you give. Let's look at Psalm 86, verses 15 and 16. Because, again, we'll see that it's quoting Exodus 34. In the ESV, it says this, But you, O Lord, are a merciful and gracious Hanun, right? Slow to anger. Here it is. It's Exodus 34, again, being quoted. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then, listen, turn to me, the psalmist says. Turn to me, and here it is again. And be what? Be gracious. Be Hanun to me. Give your strength to your servant, and save the son of your maidservant. I'll leave that verse up there for just a few moments. Hey, will you look at the text with me? Do you see that the verbs are underlined here? What is this showing? This is showing that this word for graciousness is an action. He says, turn, give, save. And this is what God does. God in his graciousness, right, he comes to us. He shows grace, mercy, Kindness, strength, he helps us win in our time of need. So God not only feels, but he what? Then he moves into action. He, he comes to our aid. He, he comes to rescue. He comes to, to help. He comes to bring peace. Are you, are you racked with anxiety? God comes to bring you peace. Are you in a time of trouble? God wants to be your refuge this morning. Do you need strength because you, you, you feel like the journey is going to be long? God wants to give you strength. He wants to come to your aid, to be by your side. And I can't help but think of this, you guys, that God is always this way. Isn't this wild? God is always this way. You see, in my case, so many times, I can feel compassion for people, but it doesn't mean that I move to action. Are you like that? You kind of feel it, but it doesn't mean you do anything. <laughs> You're like, oh, I kind of feel bad. Oh, I'm not doing anything about it, though. <laughs> and the cool thing about God is what? Is he's always compassionate. He's always Gracious. I think of uh, my kids. When we ask our kids to clean their rooms, um, well, at first they ignore us. <laughs> uh, and then eventually what happens? Eventually they go and they clean their room, but it's always begrudgingly. They're like dragging their feet like, oh, all right. And so what do we see? We see that there's action, but what? They don't feel it. They're not feeling it. They're not like, oh, I really want to do this for my room. Nope. They're just doing it begrudgingly out of obligation because mommy and daddy have asked them to clean the room. Clean that mess. You left your bazillion Legos out, and I'm going to kill myself on the floor now, okay? So clean up. And they're like, oh, really? Oh, oh, oh. And then eventually they do it, but they don't want to. They ain't feeling it, okay? God's not like that. God's moved feels compassion, but then what? He responds, doesn't he? He responds. You see this in the New Testament because Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus, what? Moved with compassion, and he healed their sick. 
So the Lord is who? It's Jesus, of course. And we see this exemplified in his life. God is always both compassionate and gracious. He deeply feels, but what? He also moves into action. It's amazing. Now, I know some of you this morning, or if you're watching online, you're thinking, you know, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like God is very compassionate or gracious in the Old Testament. Now, I've read some stories of violence, and, you know, there are people even, you know, in our culture who have such a hard time with the stories of violence in the Old Testament that they deconstruct their faith, you know, and then they're like, they swing all the way over to the, to, to the other side, okay, because they're like, they cannot reconcile who they see in Jesus with what they read in the Old Testament. Now, listen, I know it's tempting for us, for some of us to say, you know what, it seems like in the New Testament, this Jesus guy is pretty kind, he's humble, he's like super compassionate, but in the Old Testament, God is grumpy and ornery. And I don't know, I don't want anything to do with that God. It seems like there's two different gods. Listen, I know it's tempting to maybe think that, but can I tell you that if, if you were to think that, that's an inaccurate view of the Bible. That's an inaccurate view of who God is. It really truly is. And one of the stories in the Old Testament where God really shows off his compassion, his grace, is in the book of Jonah. Anybody familiar with the book of Jonah in here this morning? You've read the book of Jonah. I think it's four chapters. God comes to Jonah. Jonah's a minor prophet. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, uh-uh. Look at Jonah 1-1 with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay? For the record, remember, Jonah doesn't want to go. Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. Why? Well, (laughs) the Ninevites are the enemies of God. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And then to top things off, the Ninevites are not nice people. Let me clarify. The Ninevites are wicked. And they're barbaric. In fact, several decades ago, archaeologists discovered a Ninevite library. And what they found out was astonishing. It was wild. It was crazy. Let me show you a couple things here. Shalmaneser II says this, A pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. Now his son, Sennacherib, not much better, I flayed him, his skin I spread upon the wall of the city. So Shalmaneser, what is he doing? He's chopping people's heads off and then makes a big pile of them. And then he's burning alive kids and women. Nice guy, right? Just the guy we want to live next to, right? What about Sennacherib? Sennacherib is skinning people alive. These are the ancient Ninevites. They're wicked. I mean, they're they're barbaric. And Nineveh, listen, is the last place that Jonah wants to go to. In fact, what does he do? He goes west to Tarshish, which is exactly the opposite direction because Jonah wants to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can. Jonah is like, no way, God. Like, I hate the Ninevites. I ain't going there. I know you want me to plant a church there, but nope, not going there. Why? Because, God, these people deserve judgment and they deserve death. And I'm not having anything to do with it. And can I just tell you, Jonah's response is a lot like our response. 
we would have the same response if God called us to do this. Jonah, eventually, he goes, right? Because he's thrown off the ship, swallowed by a giant fish, of course, spit out, and then God gives him another opportunity. So Jonah decides he's going to go to Nineveh, but he does so begrudgingly, right? Remember the story of our kids who clean their rooms, but they don't want to do it. This is kind of like Jonah. He's like dragging his feet like, oh, fine, fine. If you want me to go, I'll go. Listen, my sermon, though, one sentence, God. That's it. Can you imagine if I showed up on a Sunday morning and I had a one-sentence sermon? You'd be like, what? Let's get some music back up here. What's going on here, right? It's like, one-sentence sermon. Here's what it is. It's Jonah 3, 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, here's the message, here's the sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Peace out. <laughs> Translation, y'all got 40 days to turn away from your wickedness. If not, God's going to strike you down. I'm out. <laughs> Miraculously, here's what happens. Here's what the next verse says, Jonah 3, 5. The Ninevites believed God. This is amazing. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which is an ancient way to what? To go into mourning. So what's happening here, you guys? People repent, okay? Like revival breaks out on the streets of Nineveh. People are turning to the Lord, And when God sees this, what happens? He relents from his wrath, and he does not bring the destruction that he threatened them with. God relents from his wrath. That's that's amazing. How is Jonah responding to this? He's not happy. He's not happy. Jonah's like, whoa. Why is Jonah not happy? Because Jonah wanted God to take out the Ninevites. That's why he's not happy. He's like, I wanted you to bring a firestorm on these people. And so he kind of goes into somewhat of a tantrum. I want you to look at Jonah 4, 2, and 3. This is really important. He prayed to the Lord, Jonah. He says, isn't this what I said, Lord, <laughs> when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a, oh, here it is, Exodus Gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from some sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's like, just take my life. I'm done. I love this, this, these verses from Jonah. He says this, I knew you'd be this way. Ugh! Like, really, God? Ugh. I knew you were going to do this. Are you serious? How does Jonah know? Jonah remembers and knows the scripture. He knows Exodus 34, 6 and 7, right? The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, right? Jonah knows, and he's quoting this back because he knows this to be the character of God. And Jonah says, This is the reason why I didn't want to do this, because I knew you'd show mercy to this wicked people. And I wanted you to take them out. Bit of a, again, 
temper tantrum. So how does this apply to all of us this morning? What's well, this? We love it when God treats us with compassion and grace. We don't like it when God is compassionate and gracious with people we hate or don't like. And don't pretend this is not you. Okay? You're in church. If you lie, lightning will come down. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Some people believe this. I know. I got to be careful. We're in Bay City. Hey, I'm just being honest with you. You don't like it when God is compassionate and gracious with people you don't like. It's true. We don't like it when God is compassionate and gracious with the terrorist. Ooh. We don't like it when God shows compassion and mercy to the school shooter. Ooh. We don't like it when God shows compassion and grace to the person who bullied us at school or gossiped behind our backs. We don't like that. What about this one? We don't like it when God is compassionate and gracious with who? With our ex-wife or our ex-husband who cheated on us. We don't like it when God is compassionate and gracious to our boss who fired us without reason. It's so easy, listen, or rather, in this moment, God is asking us, what about when I'm compassionate and gracious to him or to her? How do you feel about that? Because this story shows us, listen, it's so easy for us to say, him, her? I mean, come on, God, you saw what they did. You saw how he treated her. Are you serious? They're being blessed right now? Are you serious? Like, it seems like their life is super, like, it's going really well and things are working out for them. Oh. Wait, but me? Well, <laughs> well, yeah. I've been a Christian all my life. Well, yeah, I kind of deserve to be blessed. I live a moral life. I don't swear. Well, not very often anyway. So. I only watch, I, well, I don't watch rated R movies except when they're violent because it's just blowing up cars and stuff like that. Billions are on fire. It's not a big deal. But God, listen, I, I mean, when, me, yes. Yes, I deserve to be, to be blessed. But them, no, not them, God. Come on, you got to be kidding me, God. Hey, and this is a reminder for us today, church, that God is not just on your side. It's a reminder God's not just on my side. You want the truth? God is on God's side. Yeah. God's on his side. <laughs> it's so easy that we try to pull him in on our side. But he won't have anything to do with that. God's on God's side. And what we read in the scripture is this, is that God goes around blessing people who don't deserve it. He does it so much, it's almost scandalous. He's so incredibly generous and kind. 
And I want you to think about this. Uh, ask yourself this question. Who's the person when God blesses, you get mad? Who's the person when God blesses, you get mad? This is the question I think God wants us to ask ourselves. So now that we've learned about who God is, we've learned about how he relates to us, of course. Now it begs the question, how then do we relate to one another now? Now that we've learned who God is, his character, how he relates to us. Listen, how do, listen, how do we treat one another? How do we relate to one another? Well, Israel's job in ancient history, listen, was to image God. What does that mean? It means this, that Israel's job, they were to copy, mimic, and emulate the characteristics of who God was. Why? Because God wanted other nations to know what he was like from his people. Does that make sense? God wanted other nations to know what he was like based upon his people, how they treated other people. The world should know what God is like by looking at his people. And so this is a prescription for how God's people are to live. And listen, I know, I know that it's easy, and I said this earlier. You remember, I know that it's easy for us to say, well, hey, you know, <laughs> Pastor Marco said it this morning. Did you hear him? He, I heard him. He said he wasn't really strong on the mercy, gift, and compassion. I heard that too. And I'm not either. Right? You, you, I'm not either. Exactly. So it's easy for us to just kind of say, you know what, I'm off the hook. I don't have the gift of mercy. I'm not super compassionate. But here's the idea. The problem with you saying that is this. God is. Okay. God is merciful. God is compassionate. God is forgiving. Listen, and he's called us to what? To copy, mimic, and nebulate his character. To who? The world. And I know we can, we can, we can, it's tempting to want to say it. But here's what Paul writes. The Apostle Paul, Colossians 3, 12 and 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Here it is, Paul, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says this, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all those virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Hey, church, I get it. You may not have the gift of mercy and you may not have the gift of compassion, but Paul says, put it on anyways. Put it on anyways. So when you get up in the morning, you put that shirt on, you put the nice pair of jeans on, pretend like you're putting on compassion, humility, kindness, and gentleness, and patience at the same time. Why? Because that's the way our God is. That's who our God is. And so Paul says, put on these virtues because you've been made new in Jesus Christ, and therefore what? You're called to be these same things to those around you. Put on compassion. Put on these different attributes, these qualities of God. So please today, church, don't leave thinking that this doesn't apply to you, okay? Don't leave thinking this doesn't apply to you. We're all called to this as the people of God.
And so as we close this morning, I want to ask you just two questions. Okay, just two questions that I want you to wrestle with this week. Question number one is this. Who are the people I can be compassionate and gracious to on a daily basis? Who are the people I can be compassionate and gracious to on a daily basis? <laughs> Let me just say this. If you have a ring on, that's a clue. <laughs> it's him. It's her. And you're like, Pastor Margo, she drives me nuts. Pastor Margo, if you only knew what mess he makes, if you only knew how he would do this, right? And I, and I know, I know, I know. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, I mean, it, it pierces my heart. It says that love keeps no record of wrongdoings. I do, okay? I do. <laughs> but Paul says that love, real godly love, doesn't keep track of that. So, so, so don't, don't, don't play that, don't play that game at home with your marriage. It doesn't work. I'm up three. You're down zero. Right? What, I got five points. You got two. You better make up for it. Wash those dishes, punk. Right? Because I know it's tempting. I know it's tempting. If you have kids, guess what? It's them. Now I'm serious. Because I'm not always slow to anger. As a father, I'm discovering that what my kids need most from me is my mercy. They need me to be compassionate. I don't want to always be that way. But I know that's what they need. Do they need discipline? Of course they need discipline. But they need me, me to be a compassionate, gracious, earthly father. So that's question number one. Who can you show compassion and grace to every day? This week, at least, think about that. Probably a coworker, could be a family member, could be an enemy, could be your competition. I don't know. Question number two Do you believe that God feels compassion for you and graciously wants to help you? This is big. I'm going to ask it again Do you believe that God is compassionate and wants to graciously help you? Because there's a lot of Christians that can read the words behind me and it doesn't make any difference. They still don't believe it. They still don't, in, in, in practice, they don't believe it. In theory, they do, but in practice, they don't. But the scripture tells us in Hebrews that we can boldly approach his throne of grace to receive what? Mercy in our time of need. And so this morning, I wanna, I wanna encourage you, I wanna remind you that, listen, God, He's always compassionate. He's always feels this way for you. He's always gracious. He's always moving into action to what? To help his people, to show kindness, to show them favor, even when they don't deserve it. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, ah, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can be included in that, Pastor Marco, because, well, here's the thing. It's my first Sunday here. Here's the thing, I haven't been to church in 30 years. Here's the thing, I don't even know if I believe in this God that you proclaim. And I would just tell you right now, listen, that the good news is that God is always compassionate and gracious. Why? One word, Jesus. Jesus, listen, here's what Jesus does. Here's what he did. He took 
the punishment that you deserved. He took God's wrath that was meant for you and I. He died the death that we all deserved. He lived a life that we couldn't live. It was a life that was without sin. He was raised to life three days later. He now is alive. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is coming back. And you still have a chance. You still have a chance. Why? Because he's patient. And friends, I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth. His patience will run out eventually. And his wrath will be upon you. Don't wait that long, okay? Don't play the game. Don't play the chance. Well, tomorrow I'll give my life to the Lord. Well, next week I, I'm going to get right with God in just a couple more weeks. And No, listen, you don't know when your last breath will be. And there's a day where his patience runs out. He'll deliver on his wrath. But for now, all of us in the room, wherever you're at, you have a chance to what? To come to Jesus, to draw near to Jesus, to what? So you can experience forgiveness, and then you can receive what? His mercy, His compassion, His grace. And the only reason we can experience that is not because of how good we are, it's because of how good He is. Amen? Yes. Yes. Good news. It's because how good he is. And church, I want to pray with you as we wrap up this morning. This week, who can you show compassion? Who can you be gracious with this week on a daily basis? Number two, do you believe that God is compassionate? Do you believe that God wants to help you in your time of need? Because if you don't, listen, it's going to shape the way that you live. In theory, you'll believe it, but in practice, you won't. He wants to help you. He's merciful. He's kind. He's good. He's forgiving. Draw near to Jesus today. Draw near to Jesus today is my prayer for you. Let's pray. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head maybe or, or whatever posture of prayer you might choose? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what we read in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. You are the compassionate and gracious God. You feel compassion to us, just like a mother feels compassion towards her infant child. Lord, not only that, but you are always moved to action. You move in to, to, to give, to serve, to help, to strengthen, to be there in our time of need when we're suffering, when we're in pain maybe, Lord. You always move into action for us, and we love you for that, God. Help us to believe it this morning, we pray. God, that you might do a great work in our hearts. Show us this week who, who we can be compassionate towards. Those in our household, those at work, God, those who maybe have abused us, have cheated on us, have hurt us, have betrayed us even, God. You said in your word to pray for our enemies and bless them. Lord, that's so much easier to read about than to actually do. And so we pray, Lord, that this week you might help us to do that, that we might show grace and compassion and mercy to those who don't deserve it because the truth about it is <laughs> none of us deserve it lord so lord would you come and heal right now would you come would you come and draw near to people this morning move in action god we pray be merciful with us the lord the lord the compassionate and gracious god pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, 
Amen, amen, amen. Let's clap our hands for our king this morning.